Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 336 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. I am your host, Sam Klein. I was not here last week with you, and so I guess we have a lot to catch up on. Before we do that, I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Donald, I'll start with you. How are you doing, my friend? Doing pretty good. About to uh, embark on a little vacation with my dad, uh, so today is a little bit hectic. Uh, but we do have some interesting news in the world of basketball and college football to discuss. So I'm excited about that. Excellent. And Jason Evans is also here. Jason, how you, how, excuse me, Jason, how are you? Uh, doing just fine and dandy. Uh, you, Donald's about to go on vacation. I just got back from a little mini vacation. I went, um, we have some friends who have a place in Florida um, along the Gulf coast and we went and visited them. And this is how your life changes. And I know neither of you have children. So, so you won't even understand how I'm about to say my life has changed, but it used to be, I would take a vacation like this and it would be all about the kids and getting the kids, you know, to the beach or to whatever amusement park, whatever it was they wanted to do. Um, now it's all about the dog, Cameron. We brought, we took Cameron with us, drove five and a half hours down to, it's near Destin where we went. Um, and everything we did, and I mean everything, like going out to restaurants, going to the beach, you name it. It was all designed around our dog and our friend's dog getting to have fun. Um, and it was, I, I, it was awesome. I started living with a dog uh, in the last year. So I am, I am now familiar with this on a, on a day-to-day basis. I haven't really dealt with it in a, in a vacation sense yet, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's an additional challenge, but it's worth it. It's yes. I should like, we're, we're calling up restaurants and stuff and saying, you know, first question is, do you have a reservation at the time we want it? Second question is, can we bring our dogs? <laughs> I'd, I'm going to advocate for Cameron and say that you should have always been thinking about this because Cameron is a huge part of the family, our that's family true. as well. He's yes, a part of this podcast. Yes, so that's true. Uh, you, you should, our, our unofficial fourth host should always get that kind of King's treatment. By the way, excellent. By the way, in just a few weeks, in early September, Cameron will turn 11. Whew. He's getting pretty gray, guys. He's a black dog, but he's getting pretty gray. <laughs> uh, big, up to, big ups to Cameron. Don't waste any motion. Amen. <laughs> he, you know, the funny thing, he groans now. Like whenever he moves, he's like an old man. He goes, Ugh. every time I do he that moves. too. I feel that. I feel <laughs> yeah, that I was every say, Is that, is that an, is that an old person exclusive thing? <laughs> yeah. so, all right. We need to, we need to talk about basketball. Speaking of old yeah, people, sure. coach K is retiring. <laughs> we all know that. Uh, no, we last week, uh, instead of talking about old people, I do want to talk about young people for a second, because last week, uh, the two of you got to interview Andy Borman, Duke alumnus, uh, member of Coach K's family, and uh, most importantly, most salient to us, I think, was uh, that he is uh, or was Kyle Filipowski's coach in high school. And so he had a, if you didn't get to check out that episode, go ahead and download that because it was a great in-depth look at, at Kyle Filipowski. I just wanted to say that I listened to the show, uh, I think, within a day of you all putting it out, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so many good nuggets there about about Kyle's development. I do feel like Andy may have put him a little bit on a pedestal in terms of his uh, in terms of his potential. He basically like he gave you like a you know an, an elite uh, tough guy Duke starting five and was like Kyle Filipowski could be any of those guys. So um, I, I don't know that we need to put those kinds of expectations on him. But the the part that I found most exciting and I, I think you all covered this a little bit, but I wanted to echo that uh, I was really excited that he said that. Kyle's looking at college as a three or four year event and not necessarily as a one or two year event. I think that that's a real, uh, that's a real game changer. I think for John Shire as an incoming head coach, where he'll be able to, to grow his version of the program along with Filipowski um, and, and great for Filipowski potentially, because he's going to get a, a really strong college experience. We, we here, I think are pretty supportive of the players, doing what they need to do to, to take care of themselves and further their careers and all of that. But I think one of the things that gets lost sometimes with guys choosing to go to the NBA so early is that uh, they, they don't get this time back. They don't get the college time back. And so it's, it's neat that he's coming in and, and feeling like that's his plan. We'll see, maybe he's going to blow up in the next year and, and all of that goes out the window, but uh, I, I will leave that there. We don't need to, we don't need to continue rehashing. I do want to talk about a few uh, news items from this week that are related to Duke basketball. We're going to hit on the upcoming announcement about the ACC partnering with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and football scheduling. We'll do that after the break. But before, I want to talk a little bit about first Paulo Banquero, the 
presumed star of the team for this for this upcoming season uh, announced yesterday that he has signed a representation deal with creative artists agency and i'll let jason kind of kind of dive a little deeper on this to, to start because caa is a big brand not just in basketball and not just in sports but they are one of the biggest um biggest agencies for uh you know for, for sort of celebrity representation out there in in the country right now so jason what does it mean that paulo bancaro has signed with caa and, and what can we uh, expect out of that partnership I mean, I think what we can expect is um, a lots of checks with lots of zeros on them going to the, the Bancaro family and to Paolo himself. Um, you're right, Sam. CAA is, is a really big deal. I, I want folks to understand, I, I think CAA sort of made their name representing Hollywood stars. They are one of the top, if not the top, um, talent agents in Hollywood. But they have also, uh, in recent years especially, have gotten very, very big into sports. And uh, in this past NBA draft, CAA represented eight guys who were drafted in the first round. Multiple guys who were taken in the top 10 are repped by CAA agents. That made CAA the number one basketball agency in the most current NBA draft. Among the other players they represent, oh, I don't know. How about Zion Williamson? How about Luke Kennard? How about JJ Redick? How about Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Paul George, Chris Paul? This is an agency that represents a ton of truly big time elite professional basketball players. But you know what? Up until this moment, up until this announcement about Paolo Bancaro, they did not represent a single college basketball player uh, for name, image, and likeness stuff. Uh, and clearly an agency this big, this important, they kind of had their pick. They could decide who they wanted to make the face of their effort to, to be a part of the name, image, and likeness landscape in college sports. And the guy they picked, the very first player represented by CAA basketball is Paolo Bancaro. That's a big deal. Um, Duke, Duke is a big brand. The biggest brand right now in college basketball is the Duke Blue Devils. And maintaining that brand has never been more important than it is right now because that brand is, is part and parcel with why guys are gonna make NIL kind of money. Um, the fact that our, the top player, the most marked guy seen as the most marketable player on the most current team, the fact that he is the first one to be selected by CAA to be represented is big for the Duke brand. It, it matters a lot. And, and the other thing I want to mention about this is CAA has also signed a football player. Paolo is their first basketball player. They've also signed a football player. The football player they've signed is Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. We've heard about Nick Saban bragging about the fact that Bryce Young is going to be making a million dollars in endorsements. And CAA is the company that's going to be leading that effort. I think that tells you a little bit of what CAA expects to get for Paolo Bancaro. A year ago, Paolo Bancaro would have been coming to Duke and having to decide between turning down half a million dollars or more, perhaps, from someone like Overtime Elite and the G League. This year, now, the way the new rules have changed, I think there's every reason to expect that Paolo Bancaro will probably earn close to a million dollars from name, image, and likeness deals at Duke. I won't and I wouldn't be surprised. Surpri I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than that. Yes, yeah, I agree. Uh, this is, this is an opportunity for obviously for Paulo to make as much money as he can, but it's also about the agencies and honestly, the schools putting pressure on to say, make this market as big as it can be because the schools now recognize that they are in competition with overtime elite with the G league for getting players like Paulo Bancaro to come to school. The more that he can make from, from this deal, the, the, the better off the, the sort of potential for college basketball talent is. So don't under better for Duke, that, the better for yeah, Duke. Exactly. I mean, better for Duke. It, yeah. So, so it's a, uh, it's a big deal for him. And look, the, the NIL stories about, you know, offensive lines getting sponsored by barbecue restaurants and and all those kinds of things that's all great and 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 i'm i'm very happy for for student athletes who are able to to make a little bit of change now given that uh you know before they're they they weren't able to do that all of that is great but the the sort of big movers here are going to be student athletes like paulo bancaro who will be you know i don't know if he'll be as as big as zion williamson as as early as zion was in his college career but he's going to be a big deal this year at duke and 
and and this is going to you know hopefully net him a lot of money. Donald, I know that uh, you've taken a look at at some of the other agencies in addition to CAA that have tried to come in and and create their own uh, stables of players among college athletes. What what else is kind of out there in the landscape right now? Well, generally there isn't a lot out there. This is one of the bigger ones that we've seen partnerships between a big agency and a big time athlete, but it is going to be kind of looked at as a benchmarker, right? Because it will open up some doors for some players and especially for these agencies who want to secure the big talent early and not wait until they leave college to go to the NBA or to the NFL or to whatever uh, professional league they want to go to. But the thing about this is this, right? Paulo Bancaro may make a million dollars, but it's not a disappointment if he doesn't. It's not a disappointment if he gets 750000 or even 500000 If he just gets level with overtime elite, he's still making bank because he has that Duke brand attached to it. And let's, let's all realize that we all assume that he's only going to have one year to do this, whereas most football players that go to college are going to have at least three years to get up to a certain level. So when, when people look at these numbers, they're only going to be comparing, you know, masterpiece son as of right now has the biggest deal in college sports, $2 million, but it's over four years. So he's not going to like, people are going to see that $2 million number. Don't look at Paulo Bancaro's 750 or 500, whatever it ends up being and saying, Oh, he didn't get what they thought he was going to get. He's going to make plenty of money from his name, image, and like this, in this one year on campus It's going to be a combination of a lot of things, but namely there's three, the agency backing him, him personally, and Duke is still that brand because, again, what Duke can do is provide everything that Paulo is doing can be submitted to four and a half million college basketball fans in the blink of an eye through social media. So, And no one else can claim that in college because no one has a bigger reach on social media than Duke does. So I think all these what these big agencies are looking at, they're going to look and see what this benchmarker is and see what that number is so that way they can go to some of these players and say, hey, look, you're not getting 500 grand because Paulo could only get 500 and he has the Duke brand behind it and he has CAA behind it. But this is going to kind of make it where it's not necessarily the wild, wild west of promises and really just a lot of these guys kind of backing up what they're going to do with actual data. And that's what's going to be collected this year. This is the first test for all these athletes. So that's why I say kind of, I, I kind of push back on the, you know, the sky's the limit type of thing for Paulo Bancaro. There is a limit because he's going to be here for one year. So let's keep that in mind when we're talking about the numbers and comparing them. Two other things I want to add really quick on this. The first one is um, there is some degree of pressure on CAA to perform for Palo because I am sure they want to represent him when he reaches the NBA. I'm sure they want a piece of his, you know, first NBA contract and all the subsequent NBA contracts that he signs. It's you know, there's every expectation, every reason to believe that Paolo Bancaro is going to earn hundreds of millions of dollars in the NBA, a guy of his talent. It just seems likely that that's probably the case. So CAA wants to do well with him right now with the name, image, and likeness stuff so that Paolo also picks them to represent him as uh, for his sports contracts when those come up next year. So that's, I mean, I don't, I don't know that, that, this contract isn't just going to get extended, right? Like uh, it very well may at be. this yeah. point, at yeah. this point, there's no real effective difference between being your quote unquote NIL agency and just, and just being your talent agency when you're a professional, it, it's one and the same now that, now that the rules have been changed. Correct. But my, my point is CAA needs to start performing for Paolo right away, or he could potentially pick someone else. Um, and, and, and the, the really big money, you know, as, as much as we're talking about the money that Paolo can make here in, in college, the really big money is as an NBA star, um, uh, you know, if you're, if you're an NBA all-star, the endorsement money dwarfs what any of these high school guys are getting to say nothing of the fact that you're going to be signing contracts worth dozens of millions of dollars per year. This is basically like a rent to own situation, right? This is like a free trial that you get on Netflix. I love it. That's excellent. You pay for, you're paying for the year. You're getting a year for $9.99 after, after a year, it goes up to, you know, $9.99 a month. And you have to decide whether or not it's worth it. So that's where, I mean, that's kind of what they're trying to get into is is this little, can I get this test? But again, just like you said, Jason, if they don't perform to the expectations that they set out or that Paulo sets out, 
then Paulo's free to sign someone else before the NBA draft. Exactly. And there's one other thing I want to point out. Donald, you mentioned the fact that, oh, Duke can amplify these guys with their with four and a half million folks that Duke can reach online and such. I think it's worth people noting. If you look at the announcement, if you look at the, the announcement from CAA that Paolo is now part of their family, um, there's something very conspicuously absent from the photo of Paolo that they posted. He's wearing dark blue, but it doesn't say Duke anywhere on there. Uh, you know, the chair he's sitting in, the basketball he's holding, these are all different things that could have had Duke logos on them. There is nothing saying Duke on that. And I, I don't believe there's allowed to be. These athletes are allowed to make money off their own name, image, and likeness, but not off the school specifically. And so I think that you probably will not see, you know, a lot of uh, you. The NCAA really wants the schools to stay separate from these NIL deals. And so I think you're not going to see Duke promoting name, image, and likeness deals on their social media channels. But this is something that fans of sports should be used to at this point. In, in sure. other professional sports, you'll see the local commercials like here. I mean, Sam will know this. Here in, in D.C., uh, they have the Eastern Motors commercials. The guys are all professional athletes, but they're not wearing you know a Washington football team jersey or a Capitals jersey or a Wizards jersey. They're wearing Eastern Motors jerseys. Uh, in their professional, in their various sports. So people Donald, know who they are. Donald, but, do they yeah. still have the Eastern Motors commercials? Oh, come on now. They are have, they still they, doing they're that? They're making brand new ones. Absolutely. They, the, they, like, I remember, as, as the stars rotate, you have to make new Eastern Motors commercials. Like, is LeVar like Arrington still in them? Or are they, or, or no, they, no, like, we're well past with LeVar. Like, we're well I, past I have, we I, have very, I have very specific memories of, of seeing LeVar Arrington and Clinton Portis in the Eastern Motors commercial. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At Eastern Motors. At Eastern Motors, you know, your job's your credit. Your job's your credit. Yeah. Your job's your credit. <laughs> but that's the thing, right, is we're used to seeing that already. So people, when you, you mean, Jason, I'm glad you pointed that out because there are obviously going to be some who are going to be like, wait, like, why isn't he wearing a Duke jersey? But Duke is going to amplify it in other ways and amplify these players in other ways. But if you're looking at, if you're looking for a Duke jersey in a commercial, that's not coming anytime soon. And in fact, you don't even see it when Coach K is in a commercial and Coach K is a professional who can do what he wants. So if you've noticed that, then you won't be surprised when you see that going forward. So that's it on Paulo Bancaro's name, image, and likeness representation deal. Of course, if there are, if there are more, uh, more sponsorships that Duke athletes are participating in, we will bring you those details and talk about them one other Duke basketball note that we did need to touch on is the news that was widely reported this week, although all by, by back channel and, and media reports, not necessarily confirmed, I think, by the programs, that Duke and Villanova will be playing a scrimmage on October 23rd. So during the preseason, they'll be playing a scrimmage in Washington, D.C., which we were just speaking about. So uh, the, the, the basic background here is that Duke normally plays two on-campus uh, scrimmage games against D2 opponents. Traditionally, one of them is the Division II national champion. This year, they're only playing one on campus, and they've decided to do one of these uh, one of these games against another D1 opponent, but that is behind closed doors. So the deal is the game doesn't count towards anybody's records, and the media and fans are not able to get in. But Donald lives in Washington, D.C., and they've announced, by the way, that the game is going to be in D.C., so that the teams are roughly meeting halfway between because Villanova is out in Philadelphia, Duke obviously in North Carolina. So DC about halfway between those two. Donald Wine though lives in Washington, DC. So Donald, I imagine that you are going to be doing anything you can to break into the secret game. Tell us what you think about this matchup between Duke and Villanova in the preseason. Well, first of all, I think I know which gym it is. And if you think I'm going to say it on this podcast, you're absolutely dead wrong. No chance. Because no chance. <laughs> I think I know what gym it is because I know there's a couple of gyms that are busy that day or, or, or locked up, but there's one that's open that would have the security to hold out people like, like me, but ain't nobody like me. So I might be able to figure out a way to get up in there. Having said that, I think this is actually a great idea. Uh, if, I think a lot of people are, you know, used to us playing the division two national champions. And I know that coach K has actually said, something to the effect of that we're not scheduling them in the non-conference schedule uh, and that he's kind of upset or not necessarily upset, but just kind of laments the fact that he wasn't able to get that on the calendar. But I do think this presents an interesting challenge. Last year, we didn't get a lot of interaction between our school and our team and other division one teams. 
until it was we were in the season. And I think Coach K wants to kind of take advantage of this and make it so that these guys get a taste of what big time competitive Division One action is against a really tough team. The thing about these scrimmages is we're not going to hear about the score. We're not going to hear about who had 20 points or if Paulo Bancaro did anything. There may be leaks of reports, but the schools are not officially allowed to say anything about this thing that is not taking place. But I do think it's going to present an actual opportunity for this team to simulate a road trip, which we don't get to do a lot of uh, until ACC season, how that's going to work, the logistics of it, figuring that out. Remember, we have Emil Jefferson now. So you know, when it comes to basketball operations, this is going to get him a little taste of how he has to deal with his job. But then there's also the team and how they work on the road against a big team and how in working out some of these, you know, some of these issues that they may have uh, with regards to the offense and defense and see where there are holes and, and kind of see where formations, uh, are, not formations, but just lineups and how the rotations kind of work. So I think this is a good idea. And in his last year, it seems like Coach K is willing to do something new, even though he's on his way out, to try and spur this team to the greatness that he thinks they have. Jason, what do you think about Duke's changing its philosophy here in terms of they used to schedule two D2 opponents, schools that, you know, we, we've seen these games. These are games that Duke would typically win by 30 or 40 points. Now they're playing uh, a Villanova team that I haven't done the, the deep dive on how good Villanova is going to be this year, but look at recent seasons. Villanova is, is perennially a top five, top 10 type basketball team. What do you think about this strategy for Coach K? So first of all, you're, you're correct uh, about Villanova traditionally being like that, and they will be like that again this year. Most folks have them projected, you know, as a top top 10, top 15 kind of team. They return a lot of talent from, from last season. Uh, they lost a couple guys, um, but, but they've got a, a good recruiting class with a bunch of, you know, four-star kind of players in it. Um, and, and they've got a lot of returning talent. This will be a very, very good club. I think that the reason Coach K did this was because, he recognizes that with a young team, uh, they will probably do them more good to play against uh, a bunch of experienced college basketball players than it will to, to play against a, a, you know, a, a, a D2 opponent. I, I think Coach K you know, has adjusted his thinking a little bit because, of, because Duke is so young. And we've been this way for a while, but I, I think maybe you know, he's sort of slowly come around to the fact that that he needs to throw these kids into the fire and figure out what they've got and what they need to work on against legit opponents as quickly as possible. Um, you know, ACC, Duke's probably going to play at least two ACC games before the turn of the new year. Um, so, so we, we gotta be ready and, and we've got a, we got a tough non-conference schedule, you know, around Thanksgiving, we're playing three legit top 15 teams. So and that's after, and that's after Duke plays Kentucky right at the beginning of the season. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think that this, that this makes a lot of sense and uh, knowing that it's available and that it's something that, that Duke could have been doing all along. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that they're finally taking advantage of it because as fun as it was to get the extra game in Cameron and, and, and the extra kind of warm up for the crazies, uh, this, this sort of game is important. This scrimmage is important for the blue devils, particularly in this season where they're bringing in a lot of new guys, but they're also, you know, having guys come back from last year who were in weird situations. The team obviously did not have a good season. They only won 13 games. And, and so any opportunities they get to play good competition early in the season, fine by me. Do it behind closed doors. I'm sure we will hear little tidbits about, about how it went. And, and we don't learn much. I, I, I always say every year when we have these, when we have these scrimmages against the, the division two opponents that I'm not going to take away too much from them. I'm not going to care that, that, you know, one of the big guys gets 15 rebounds in one of those games or, or someone goes off for, for 35 points. It doesn't matter. Those stats don't, don't show up at the end of the season. And frankly, the competition is not good enough that you can draw any conclusions from them anyway. So, so I'm, I'm glad that Duke is, is getting to do this. And I hope that we get some reports about how the game went. Yeah. So here's what I think you're going to get um, because th these kind of scrimmages, this is not like it's something that has never been done before. Um, these kind of things happen among programs all the time. And, and what you typically get coming out of these is not like a full stat sheet. You know, you won't be able to say, okay, Wendell Moore 
shot five of eight from the field with three assists and, and one turnover. You're not going to get things as granular as that. What you will get is, you know, sort of senses of stats and some individual, you know, okay, Trevor Keels had 12 points and he hit four three-pointers. That's the kind of thing you're going to get, um, uh, you know, sort of a narrative as opposed to statistics on a page. And the other thing you'll get is they will know which team won the scrimmage. Um, even though, you know, the coaches are probably going to have more timeouts than usual, there'll be a bit more coaching than, than would ordinarily happen during a game. There'll be a clock, there'll be refs, and there will be a team that wins the game and a team that loses the game. And, and that'll be something, I, I, and I'm sure that we are going to learn that kind of detail from this. It, but it's not going to officially come out from the schools. It's going right, to be exactly. something It'll where, be again, someone like me, who's, who's in the rafters, you know, <laughs> sitting up there, just kind of like, by the way, this, this is what's going on. But I think the other thing uh, to remember, Jason, is back in the day when these happened, they weren't even allowed to keep score. It was just literally just some guy, again, who would be like, you know, kind of sitting there and it'd be some guys, you know, imitating a ball boy who was like, by the way, this dude had 37 points and, and 15 rebounds. And then that would be the article. And they would just kind of, yeah, they, these two teams scrimmage while we don't know the score, we do know this. And it would kind of list some of the things that would happen. So a, a lot of people are going to be asking for a lot of detailed information about this. They're just not going to get it officially, but it's just going to be whoever was the fly in the on, on the wall uh, kind of re relaying this to the rest of the world you may even see this in the form of tweets in 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 social in social media it may not be formal articles or anything because again it's going to be very hard to get into a close scrimmage when both teams are are basically playing dumb and saying it's not happening so we will leave the Duke basketball news there we're going to take a quick break when we get back we're going to talk about the ACC's uh affiliation, upcoming affiliation with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for football scheduling. So stay tuned. We will be right back. As we said before the break, we are going to talk about the news upcoming. As we're recording right now, I should note, that it's about 1.30 Eastern on Tuesday. The, the three conferences, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 that are about to enter into this scheduling arrangement are going to announce the full details uh, upcoming at the top of the hour right before we're recording. But we had to get this out now. This is when our schedules worked. So And, and there's been plenty of reporting sort of leading up to this about uh, what, what we know and what we don't know about how this arrangement is going to work. So what we do know for right now is that, as I said, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are going to announce a, a big plan to be scheduling, I guess, not just in football, but, but across many sports, um, doing schedule arrangements so that they will be playing each other uh, in, in a variety of sports in their non-conference leagues, uh, mostly, it seems, as a reaction to the SECs adding Texas and Oklahoma to their conference lineup, which is making the SEC not just a behemoth in football, but in all kinds of sports. And, and so right now, there's a, there's a sort of shifting power dynamic going on in college sports. I'll let Jason take this one first. Jason, what, why is the ACC going through with this? And what does it mean for the ACC and for Duke that this scheduling arrangement is, is coming to fruition? So it's, it, it, by the way, it's more than a scheduling arrangement. Um, and I think that's important to note that the, these these conferences are agreeing to be allied, both in terms of scheduling and in terms of the governance, the direction, um, the future of college sports. That they're sort of forming a voting block, so to speak, um, that that would trump anything the SEC can put together. And and Sam, as for why they're doing this, well, all three of these conferences have brand new commissioners who've been on the job for like less than a year or, or like maybe a year, year and a half each. But, you know, uh, the, th the three commissioners of the ACC, PAC, uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 are, are, are new and, and are suddenly faced with this huge threat. So, so it's easy for those guys to come together and work together. These are also three conferences that believe in playing a lot of sports. They believe in the, the Olympic sports, so to speak, the non-revenue sports. Um, I saw a tweet that said that these three conferences average 
26 different sports that they compete in, whereas SEC schools only average 21 sports. There are a bunch of things that these schools do that the SEC doesn't even bother with because the SEC is mostly focused on revenue sports, specifically football. And then the last thing that binds these conferences together is a respect for academics. One of the things that we've read about with these conferences um, joining hands is that they want to preserve the college model where graduation is something important. These are conferences that believe that they're not just allied uh, you know, on the field, on the court. They're also allied in terms of doing academic partnerships together. Um, I, I know it may seem quaint to, to talk about academics when we're talking about big time college athletics, but the average US News and World Report ranking of the ACC, Big 10 and Pac-12 schools is around 80th. The average of an SEC school is like 115th. It's just a very different tier of schools from an academic standpoint than the, these other conferences. And I, I love the huge canopy of shade that you just put on the SEC's academics. I just love it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but but it's, it, it's real. So these conferences just have a lot in common. They have a lot that they believe in that they share. And they don't want this continued rating of conferences and, and pulling teams from one way to another. They don't want that to continue. They Jason, like Jason yeah. can I ask you seriously? Yeah. Do you actually believe that? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Jason? I don't believe I don't believe what you just said. I genuinely don't think that the academics matter at all to these conference commissioners. The Pac-12's new commissioner uh, comes from comes from the gambling world. He's a he's a Vegas guy, and I and I I don't mean that to to denigrate the the fine upstanding businessmen of of Las Vegas and the and the enormous industry that they've built around gambling. But academics is not what matters here. If, if academics mattered, Maryland wouldn't have left for the Big Ten. Maryland would have stayed in the ACC. If academics mattered, like you want me to, you want me to call out some schools. If academics mattered, Louisville and Florida State wouldn't be in the ACC, and and Texas so, would and Texas would not be joining the SEC. Texas would be joining the Big Ten or the ACC or the Pac-12 because Texas is a great is a great school. Yeah. Um, I, I, and 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 I I don't think that the academics matter at all in in this situation. So, so let me defend this and let me explain it to you in, in my opinion. And this is also what I've read from sure. people who, who are following this stuff. It, it is not that academics are the first concern. The first concern is the college football playoff. And you know I'll get into that in a second. Um, but academics is not a non-factor to these schools. And, and, and we're talking about the commissioners, but it's the school presidents who are the bosses of the commissioners. So you know the, the school presidents are the ones who are aware of the academics and are aware of the fact that they want to be with like-minded universities and competing against like-minded universities as opposed to schools that are a little bit more of, of a slave to the almighty dollar of college football. Um, so I think, uh, I'm not saying academics is why they're doing this. I'm not saying it's the primary factor. Heck, if I had to list seven or eight different things, it's probably way toward the bottom but it's one thing that binds these conferences together. It's one reason these three conferences are doing what they're doing. I should, think that it, you guys want to answer that or should a, I? No, I, I, I think that that may be a cover for, for some of the other justification here, because I think the main driver is staying relevant nationally in, in the sports landscape and being able to continue running these athletic departments and trying to make money from them. And I, and I don't disagree. It's crazy. That is, here, that is the main driver. You're what's right. crazy here is that most of these schools don't manage to make money with these programs that, that all of this is a is just a, an opportunity for the school to have that that front porch right that that's what we talk about we talk about academics being the front porch of the university it's the way that alumni engage with the school in ways that are not just about you know the classes that you took or the dorms you lived in it, it's about going to the games it's about going to the football games and the basketball games that's what that's what really matters here. What I'm excited about is the fact that the Big Ten is is not choosing to go this alone and take on the SEC themselves because there's another version of this reality where the Big Ten says, okay, SEC, it's a race to, to 20 programs. We're going to go grab four programs. We're going we're gonna to get UNC. We're going to get UVA. We'll get some other big state schools and we'll fill out our roster and, and that'll be it. And then we'd be left with a college uh college conference situation where it's the big 10 and the sec and then everybody else kind of doesn't matter right like like the realignment that we've seen the last few years has basically said there is a there's a set of schools that 
that kind of matter, right? Like Alabama matters, Ohio State matters, Texas matters. And there are schools that no matter which conference they end up joining, that conference just sort of falls out of favor. Like you take like University of Memphis or University of Cincinnati. These are schools that have that have moved conferences a couple times and wherever they end up is a conference that is is probably on the outside looking in of like whatever the the sort of latest shuffle in college football is. Duke has been lucky enough that they happened to join the right conference 60 years ago to still be in this conversation today. But that is under pressure if the Big Ten and the SEC turn around and look and say, oh, man, we, we basically have all the good teams anyway. Like as long as we, you know, figure out how to bring Clemson or, or Florida State and Miami into this mix, like we've got all the valuable ACC uh, football programs. And so that's it. So um, I, I, I'm surprised that it's actually going down this way. But I am I'm glad that, that Duke continues to to stay in one of these conferences, because let's be real, if Duke loses out on its football money that or, or if Duke's football money is suddenly reduced because there's some big realignment, Duke's not going to have 26 sports or I don't know how many varsity sports Duke has today, but Duke's not going to have that 26 sports anymore. They're not going to be able to afford it if they're if they're just a big basketball program, they're going to be way smaller sports. And, and I would point you to what happened at University of Connecticut where they've had to cut sports because they are not in the same kind of football situation that they were a few years ago. And that if, if it could happen at UConn, it could definitely happen at Duke. I don't think that, that UConn basketball is like exactly on the same tier as, as Duke basketball in terms of exposure and ratings and things. But as a program, if you go back 10 years ago, UConn was, was almost as big a deal as Duke is. And now, you know, what, what has happened to them? So so I think another angle of this that we haven't really touched on, Jason mentioned it a little bit, but I think it's the scheduling that's involved because the one thing that these three conferences are trying to go at the SEC about is that the SEC always says, oh, we have the toughest schedule because, you know, college football writers rate, you know, nine of their 12 or their 14 teams in the top 15. So every week is a big game. So what these what this alliance is also doing is allowing these teams to schedule some early season matchups that could be considered big games. And what they're going to try and do is set it up like this, where the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are going to be able to play each other in the regular season every year. Now, there's a couple of ways this is going to work. In football, it's not going to work immediately because as you guys know, and as a lot of you guys out there know, Football schedules are set years in advance, sometimes even a decade in advance. So there's not a lot of opportunities for teams to shuffle around a schedule for Duke, for example, to play Washington State or, you know, or Nebraska. They're going to have to figure out that and it may require. And also with, with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, they play nine conference games a year, whereas the ACC only plays eight. So they're going to have to shuffle that around where this is going to be an immediate impact is in basketball because in basketball these a lot of the times we don't know who we're playing next year much less 10 years down the road so we can go ahead and say yes acc big 10 challenge that's going down big 10 will have a thing where you know they play the pac-12 that'll go down and then we'll have a pac-12 challenge as well where we play a team from that conference every single year so i think this is something where we'll have to see how that works because in the end it does go back to the football side and the SEC saying they have the better schedules, which is why they deserve to have eight teams in a four-team playoff. But these three conferences have to figure out how to make that work and realign their schedules so that they would be able to schedule some of these bigger-time matchups. And I think, you know, Jason, one question I have going back to the reshuffling of things. What do you think would happen if the Big Ten – in the Big Ten, the SEC went together because there's one nugget out there that you forgot to talk about, and that's Notre Dame. And I think Notre Dame, as we mentioned when this was kind of being rumored, is the missing link in all this because the Big Ten goes to the ACC. It's a big time lull for the ACC. They have a bigger seat at the table. But if they go to the Big Ten, the Big Ten could then just shut out the other, other conferences minus the SEC and just go toe-to-toe with them. So I think part of what this deal is going to do is it's going to really put a squeeze on Notre Dame. And, and there are a couple of ways it's going to do that. And it's going to be really interesting to how it all plays out. But this alliance of, of the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 is going to have pretty much control over 
what happens with the college football playoff and the expansion of the college football playoff. Um, Notre Dame and the SEC both want to go to a 12-team playoff um, because the SEC thinks that if there are 12 teams, they're going to be able to get three, maybe even four teams into the playoff. That's big money for a bunch of SEC teams. And Notre Dame thinks if it's a 12-team playoff, Notre Dame can be one of those 12 teams pretty easily. If, you, if it's only a six or an eight-team playoff, then it's, the SEC is going to have a hard time getting more than two teams in there. You know, if you're at six or eight, there's just there's not going to be room for a third SEC team. It's just not going to make much sense. And and suddenly, if there are only six or eight teams, Notre Dame doesn't have sort of a a certain shot at getting into the, the playoff. They they could make it if they you know win enough of their games, but but if you know if a Notre Dame team with a couple losses probably isn't going to get into a six or eight team playoff if they're an independent. So. I think these schools recognize they don't want the SEC controlling everything about this playoff. And there's lots of talk that they're going to push for a smaller expansion as opposed to going all the way to 12 teams. That's the, that's the first way they put pressure on Notre Dame. You know the other way they're going to put pressure on Notre Dame? Look at Notre Dame's schedule. Look at the teams that Notre Dame plays every year. Right now they play five games against ACC schools and they play Michigan and Michigan State and USC and Stanford. But they don't even play them anymore. They, they, once they left for the ACC in this little hybrid formation they have, they took them off the schedule. So Michigan doesn't even play Notre Dame until 2035. Uh, Michigan State, I think, still plays them every couple of years, but it's not constant. Where back in the day, Notre Dame relied on those games to up their schedule and make it look fearsome in the eyes of, you know, when comparing it to other schools. Right. But my, my, my point in this was that Notre Dame has a bunch of games against ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten teams. That's how they, that's how they make their schedule look attractive and interesting. If, if there is a scheduling alliance among the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, where we're adding games against each other, there's a lot less incentive to say, oh, I'm also going to play a game against Notre Dame. Remember, schools want a couple games on their schedule that they can count on for easy wins, where they can fill the stadium. And, uh, you know, it's a home game every year as opposed to playing a home-and-home um, this could put a little bit of a squeeze on Notre Dame in terms of who they're able to schedule. And that could in turn perhaps force Notre Dame to, to have to make a choice in college football. If, if there's a smaller playoff and scheduling is more difficult, then suddenly the ACC or the Big Ten look a lot more attractive to Notre Dame than they did in the days when it was easy for them to schedule whoever they wanted and the playoff was going to expand and Notre Dame was going to get in it every year. I wonder how different this would be if the conferences in question weren't the three conferences that Notre Dame happens to play the most in football because they have these existing rivalries with yeah. a couple of Pac-12 schools, a couple of Big Ten schools, and then obviously the, the ACC affiliation as it is right now. So if, if, we were, if we were saying that there was an alliance going on between like the SEC, the Big 12, and the Big Ten, and the ACC and the Pac-12 were kind of on the other side, Notre Dame might actually have to do some like choosing here. But um, I'm, I, I think that it's, it's a matter of Notre Dame continuing to get that huge contract from NBC to mostly be televised, like having their own conference and televising their own games because they can make so much money doing it their way. The, the question, I think, there are, I guess there, there's two questions, is do, do the schools who are scheduling games with Notre Dame sort of outside of their required scheduling do they still get the benefit of, of getting that, like you were saying, Jason, do they get the benefit of getting that Notre Dame game or do they need to go get another, another game on the schedule? And at a certain point, one of the things that I think you might hear coaches complain about is these games dig into the otherwise games that would be scheduled against like lower tier division one teams, occasionally division two teams. At a certain point, coaches, I think, are going to start complaining that the schedules are too hard. You know, there, there are more and more conference games and there are fewer Duke. I mean, you know, if we, if we consider Duke to be one of these programs, Duke is going to have fewer games against Elon and UNC Charlotte, and they're going to have more games randomly against Minnesota and Washington and, and these other schools that are, that are good or even, or even mediocre, but they're mediocre uh, power conference schools. They're not mediocre lower conference schools. So I wonder if the coaches are going to argue about that at some point. I was just about to say that with regards to Notre Dame, because if you add more games that they're required to do, they have to drop one of the big time rivalries that they have. That's very kind of obscure, but it's a very big rivalry for them. And that's Navy. They play yeah. Navy every single year and they want to keep that on the schedule one because it's a traditional rival and two, 
because traditionally for them, it is one of those cupcake games that they can rely on all the time. Navy for ain't us, that good. <laughs> right. Navy's not always that good. I mean, they're decent, but they're not, they're not great. For Notre Dame, they're like, they consider that a cupcake, which is fine. For us, if you notice in the last few years, we've played a couple of Division I teams, and some are Power Five opponents that are on the weaker side of things. Like, I believe this year or next year, we played Kansas. Uh, we've played, you know, North, you know Northwestern, Northwestern has been up and down. Uh, over the years and sometimes we catch them when they're on the down sometimes we catch them when they're very up but I think that is where the scheduling is going to kind of turn when it comes to Duke is because you know for them they're going to try and see okay well maybe we play uh, a, again a Washington State that may be on the on the downward slide or they play a Kansas or they play a, a Minnesota or something like that where uh, you're still getting that power five team but it's not the Michigans and Ohio States and and the UCLA's of the world. My last word on all of this is really quick. A week ago before this deal was sort of announced and in the works and, and was coming out, there was a great deal of uncertainty about what the future of college athletics was going to bring for schools like Duke. You know, Sam, you talked about these schools that are sort of not necessarily the power players in, in college football, and, and all of us are nervous. I, I'm breathing a sigh of relief. I really think that this deal, at least for the moment, for the time being, it allows uh, Duke and Wake Forest and a bunch of other schools that that are good at basketball, perhaps, or who are part of these major conferences, but but not the important schools in the major conferences. It allows them to continue to go on the way we have for quite a while. And that's a good thing. So that's my bottom line. here. So we'll talk more about this as the news comes out. But until then, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 336 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. We love five-star reviews. We will talk to you again very soon. Football season is right around the corner. There will be, I'm sure, more basketball news uh, coming up. So we'll be back anytime we feel like we need to get in touch with you. See you again soon. Duke Band, take us home. I saw uh, Shang-Chi the other day. You want me to do a little Shang-Chi review? That's the that's the Marvel the new Marvel movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, you were telling me you tell me you saw that the other day. Yeah. It's uh it's just barely a little bit better than Black Widow, which is not a high bar. It's not so that here's good. the thing. I, I was like say, Black, Black Widow. Widow not good. Didn't people not like Black Widow? Yeah, I, I like Black... Black Widow. I don't care what people say about that. I like Black Widow. I, I liked how they're looping it back, but I'm also not a movie critic. I like movies for different reasons than the analysis part of things, if that makes sense. Oh, so I like I it. Does it clear. entertain me? Yes, absolutely. It entertained me. Did it have a decent plot? Yeah, it had a decent plot because I know the plot. Is Scarlett Johansson in it? Yes, she is. Are there other people in it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, David Harbour? Awesome. <laughs> like, like Donald Barr. Are there other people in it? <laughs> are there other people in it? Yeah, cool. Like, I mean, if, if it was just a Scarlett Johansson film, it would probably still be good, right? Yeah, like, it was fine. Look, look, the, the this and Shang Chi is the same way. It's fine. It's not like it's a bad time at the movies, but I'm I'm holding it up to the bar that is, you know, uh, Black Panther and and the Infinity um, Infinity Stone Saga uh, and and several other Marvel movies that are. I mean, this is this is the, great. This is not a, great. It's a diminishing returns thing, right? Like they're not, they're not necessarily like creating new, uh, they're not creating new characters. They're like creating derivatives of the same like stories and characters. No, so, no, well, no. Shang Chi is this is Shang a very is new character. A new... Okay, Shang Chi is a very new character, and um, and you know, I like the fact that they're exploring other sort of interesting aspects of heroes and and the such. That's kind of fun, but mm -hmm. it's just it, this. Like he has no character in this movie. Like the, what the character is at the beginning and what he is at the end is exactly the same. And yeah. if you compare it to like the Spider-Man films and Iron Man, Thor, I mean like the other great Captain America, these characters undergo major character arcs. They, mm -hmm. they, they take a journey. We go on the journey with them. We really enjoy it. We grow alongside watching them grow. Shang-Chi doesn't change one iota from the first scene to the end of the movie. And, and that's, that's a pity. I, think about I think how much for me- Think about how much Black Panther evolved, his character evolved over the course of that movie.
Shang-Chi does nothing in terms of evolution. Yeah, for me though, like Black Panther is always going to be up here. Ain't shit going to be up here or come close to being up here with it. So there's no reason for me to hope that a new movie that comes out, no matter what it is, is going to approach that. It's going to be, that's going to be something that would surprise me. If something came out was like, wow, this is just as good as Black Panther, if not better, that's going to surprise me because I'm always going to walk in. I always walk into movies with low expectations. That's basically my gist. If you walk in with low expectations, you're very hardly disappointed, except in Zoolander 2. I want to be clear. My bar is not Black Panther, which is one of the great action movies ever made. That bar is like, I don't know, the original Thor. Can you reach the level of the original Thor? And and Shang-Chi does not. Thor, The original Thor is right in the middle or so of all the Marvel movies. Maybe in the the bottom third. Solid movie. That's what it is. We're looking for solid. Shang-Chi comes in below that. Plot holes, fine. A little bit of character development, we need. Yeah. We need. Yeah. And the ending Uh, of this movie is just a fucking CGI mess. It is just a mess. It's like there's 5 million things happening at the same time. You can't follow any of it. I don't know that you care about any of it. Uh, I have I have very little to add on this. I'm always perpetually behind on on pop culture, so uh, I might I might get around to to watching the best of some of these movies, you know, in five years. Yeah, uh, and that's just we're on, honestly uh, that's that's possible. Sometimes it's the best way to do it. I'm telling you, uh, we're you on. You don't have to. You don't have the. You don't have this. The agony of like waiting a year between Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, like to find like I'm like I'm currently struggling with the fact that I'm that I caught up to Better Call Saul and now I'm just interminably waiting for the last season to come out. Oh my god! Uh, Wait, 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 wait! I caught up to Better Call Saul uh, on Netflix right after um, season five was was not available anymore on AMC. I thought it was going to be on AMC for a while, and I was like, oh no problem, I'll just watch. And now it's gone. And it's it's on AMC Plus or something like that. No, no, no. You have to. It's gone from there too. It's gone from there too. You have to pay Amazon Prime like a buck 99 an episode or 399 episodes, something like that to get it. I, I've been waiting, Sam, you're, I've been where waiting are a you? year and a half for this. So it's where driving are you? me crazy. I've, I've watched the first four seasons. Oh, oh, and you just haven't seen the most recent season. Oh yes. my God. And the most recent season is so good. I'm stuck. I'm a season behind and it's driving uh, me crazy. Um, I'm yeah, about to, anyway. dr- about to but, drop that sweet, sweet money. Oh, to you pay know what for. I just started? You know what I just started? I just started Ted Lasso. Oh, that's one. There we go. Um, there we go. That's good. That that's uh that's good. That's good content. Anyway, it'll make you a better person. I hope so. Uh, I don't know if much can at this point. The happy uh, it's the happiest moment of the week. <laughs> <laughs>